Welcome to Some Like It Pops, List of Palooza, Episode 1. I am Matt Timonini, and I'm joined, as always, by Jennifer McHugh. Today's episode is going to be a bit different than what we normally do. Back in December, pre-iTunes, we did an episode where Jen and I counted down a number of our favorite things, from TV shows to movies to Christmas specials. If you want to check out that episode, I will put the link in the show notes so you can take a listen to it. But, since Jen has a slightly neurotic obsession with lists, we've decided to make this one-time segment into a regular standalone show of its own. So, in the weeks between our regular episodes of Some Like It Pop, we will be counting down our top ten on lists as general as favorite movies and TV shows, which we are planning on revisiting this summer, to the bizarre and specific like favorite films featuring live-action anthropomorphic animals that most people think are cute but are secretly terrifying. Jen will generally be in charge of coming up with the lists, As I said, she has an obsession with lists, and this is right up her alley. I keep a few lists, but mostly for archival purposes, so that I know what I've seen and what I've read. But this is definitely in Jen's territory. But, without further ado, the theme for Some Like It Pops List of Palooza Episode 1 is our top 10 favorite plays. Jen, you have a theater degree, and I am a reformed theater actor and director, and I work full-time for Broadway World. But I have to admit that it was pretty difficult for me, since I don't maintain this list on a regular basis. But Jen, I assume that you already had this ready to go with years of analysis and thought put into it. You know what? I didn't, because I don't... I'm not really a straight play kind of gal. I I lean towards musicals. Plays have to really win me over quick for me to get invested. I don't know why it is. I just, I'm a musical person. So I could come up with five really quickly, but 10 was definitely challenging. Yeah, and the, the hardest thing for me was not necessarily saying, okay, here's 10 that I really liked. It was ranking them. I'm not a ranking kind of guy very often because it's just like they're so different and it's so much about what you feel in the moment of seeing it or if you've, you know, the performances. So this was tough, but I'm glad to know that we're on fairly equal footing and this isn't something that you've been mulling over for 20 years. But so what we'll do is we're going to count down 10 through 6, just give those to you in a quick burst each. Then we'll talk about our 5 through 1s. So, Jen, why don't you give me 10 through 6 real quick, starting with 10. Okay, number 10. Eugene O'Neill's Morning Becomes Electra. Number nine, A Few Good Men by Aaron Sorkin. Number eight, The Pillow Man by Martin McDonough. Number seven, Art by Yasmina Reza. And number six, Angels in America, The Millennium Approaches, Tony Kushner. Okay, those are all solid, well-known and beloved playwrights. Mine, um, fairly similar, uh, not the same people, but in a similar vein. Number 10 is The Complete Works of William Shakespeare Abridged by the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Number 9 is Arcadia by Tom Stoppard. Number 8 is The Crucible by Arthur Miller. Number 7, A Raisin in the Sun by Lorraine Hansberry. And number 6 is The Flick by Annie Baker. All right, so there's our 10 through 6. We're going to get into our 1 through 5s. We're not going to get you know deep dives into each unless we really want to argue about them. But we did want to give a little bit about each, either our experience with them, tell you what they're about, or maybe the performances that really cinched it for us. So, Jen, what do you have as number five on your favorite playlist? Uh, it's by a little-known playwright named William Shakespeare. <laughs> and the name of the play is Titus Andronicus. Oh, so you like the, the comedies. Yeah, it's a, it's hilarious. <laughs> um, it's not. It's all blood. It's all murder. It's all wonderful. The reason it is one of my favorites, because I did study theater And this one always stood out to me. And when I went to London in 2012, I went to the Globe Theater. 
and they were doing a Shakespeare Around the World Festival where companies from Shakespeare companies from all around the world came and performed one night, one play in their language. I saw Titus Andronicus done in Cantonese by a troupe from Taiwan. And it was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. I didn't understand a word of it. They had subtitles all around and it was beautiful and it was wonderful. And it will always be not only one of the top 10 performances I've ever seen, but it really made me go back and reread this play. And it is brutal. Um, I also recommend the movie with Anthony Hopkins. It's a great depiction of it. It was done by Julie Taymor, I believe. Yes, it was. And um, it's it's a disgusting play, but I love it. <laughs> seems seems about right to me, actually. Yeah. If, if it's anything true to character, you knew I would love something disgusting. <laughs> All right, number five for me is a play that um, is getting close to 90 years old and recently had a Broadway revival, got some Tony nominations and, and won some... Uh, won some Tony Awards, I believe. It is Machinal by Sophie Treadwell. Um, it's a, basically about a woman trying to navigate the the machinations of being a woman, a working woman in the 1920s. It is done in a impressionistic point of view where it is all from this character's perspective. The character has no name. We don't know her name, but it is unbelievably effective to see how she feels like she's treated by the people she works with by her incredibly abusive mother to the men that see her only as a a sexual being Uh, and all she wants to do is have a nice life and it's incredible because that's not necessarily a an original topic for us that's something that we see in art and from female playwrights a lot today but this premiered in 1928. So to see this this show done on stage with such a strong perspective set in the time period when it was written is really, really incredible. I saw a great production down here in Florida at, at a college, actually, at, at Rollins College. And it was incredibly moving. And I've uh, I, that's a production that I'll never forget. That's Mock and All by, uh, by Sophie Treadwell. Awesome. Yeah. So, uh, number four, what do you got? Scooter Thomas makes it to the top of the world. <laughs> okay. First one I've never heard of. What is it? It's a, it's a one-act play by Peter Parnell. And it is a two-character play. Um, the main character in the beginning finds out that his childhood friend Scooter Thomas uh, has, has killed himself. <laughs> and it, the entire play is done in flashbacks of him and Scooter as little kids growing up where it's literally two actors starting when they're like five years old and all these memories that they're flashing back to. Um, and they go back and forth between that and him present day at his funeral. And it is mesmerizing. Some of the best writing and acting I've, I've ever seen. Very cool. I have to check that one out. Um, number four on my list is Masterclass by Terrence McNally. It is a story that is based on uh, actual recordings of master classes given by the world-famous opera diva Maria Callas. Um, she was by no means a loving, affectionate teacher to her students. She was brutal. Um, I saw the Broadway production in 2011, I think, 2011, with Tyne Daly as Maria Callas, Sierra Boggess is in it, uh, Alexandra Silber, who's now playing the oldest daughter in Fiddler on the Roof, and Sierra Boggess is now in uh, School of Rock on Broadway as well. It's very, very effective. 
talking about art and, and using art to communicate and, and teaching and expectations and living to your potential. Maria Callas, at the time that this happens, had basically lost her voice. She could not sing anymore from vocal damage. Um, and it also goes into her personal life where she was the lover of Aristotle Onassis and she wanted him to marry her and he never did. Uh, it is an incredible play also told with flashbacks that are very in the production I saw um, very ethereal and you don't actually see um, Aristotle Onassis but Maria Callas has these incredible back and forths with him it's a great play and I've really really loved it there's there's been rumors in recent years that uh, Meryl Streep would do a televised version of it uh, for HBO. Mike Nichols was going to direct, but with his passing uh, a couple years ago, that's been put on hold. But I'm, I would love to see Meryl Streep do this role. I do love Terrence McNally. I don't know if I've ever seen that play. It's great, and there's a lot. There's a lot of singing. I mean, it's a play, but it's you know about an opera masterclass. So they're singing. Uh, Audra McDonald won one of her Tonys uh, in the original production for uh, next to, to Zoe Caldwell as Maria Callas. So it's it's really fascinating. And somebody who loves art and the teaching of art, uh, this is one you definitely should see. I will check it out. All right, cool. What do you got for number three? Cock. (laughs) What did you call me? (laughs) The name of the play is Cock. Don't Google it. (laughs) Um, It's by Mike Bartlett. And have you heard of it? I have, yeah. It was on Broadway a couple years ago. Yeah, it was, um, I was not expecting to fall in love with it. But it's all about the power of language, as you can tell by the title. Um, The characters don't really touch in the play. It's all about what they're saying. There's no set. There's no props. Everything is done through language. And poorly done, I could see how this would be a nightmare. But (laughs) fortunately, I was fortunate to see it done perfectly. And um, I saw it. The the Gregory Itzen starred in it when I saw it. And um, it was just something like something original that you've never seen before. And to use this tool to, to illustrate the power of language, it really uh, got to me. And I think the, the, the eponymous cock, there's something in there about cockfighting, right? Is that the story? Yes. Okay, so that's where that comes from. Correct. Okay. All right. I'm going. There's a, there's a whole scene where, I mean, it's a sex scene, but they're not touching. They're just describing it. And it's really left up to the audience wow. to them. It's all about your imagination. And it, it was just really powerful the way they did it. That's fascinating. Okay. I'm going to have to find a production of Cock. I'll Google that and see where it's playing. <laughs> Don't Google it. Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> All right. I'm going to the complete opposite side of the spectrum. This is a show that I would be shocked if any theater fan either at least hasn't heard of but hasn't seen. It's done all over the place, sometimes well, sometimes not. But it is – you can't take it with you. Uh, by Kaufman and Hart. It is the quintessential American family comedy. I I don't feel like I need to describe it much more than saying it's the Sycamore family are a strange group that lives outside social conventions, and they have a little bit of a reckoning when one of the more normal members of the family wants to date and get engaged to somebody of more respectable familial class. It's funny. It still holds up, obviously, by the Broadway production that just uh, finished running last year. I didn't see that one, but I've seen, I think, four different productions of it. And every time I find something new 
to be interested in this story. And I think it's so important now that, again, a, a show that was written in the, the 20s or 30s, I, I can't remember remember which exactly, but it's about not forcing yourself to live by societal conventions and to doing what makes you happy. Obviously, there are extremes, and some of the characters, and you can't take it with you, live in those extremes. But I think that the message is still really important about following what makes you happy and finding your bliss. And I love it every time. Whether it's a good production or not, I always find something that just tickles me. Not to mention the 1938 Best Picture. Right, with uh, uh, Jimmy Stewart. And that was terrible. Yeah, do you like that? Okay. Uh, I agree. I, I I love that play and every in every invention that it's in. It's just again, I will say say to you, it was the writing. It all goes back to the writing. Always does. It's funny to see how this story has progressed because it's essentially the exact same plot of Lakaja Falls, which was also the same plot as the Birdcage. The Adams Family musical uses this exact same plot construct as well. So it's interesting to see that not only does you can't take it with you live on, but it is given an entire subcategory of plot device that other works have used as well. All right, what do you have for number two, Jen? Well, I'll keep with your theme of uh, no big surprises and a little cliche, but it's absolutely one of my favorite shows ever to be in, to see, um, and the movie holds up as well, and that's Noises Off. Hmm. By Michael Frame, everyone who's anyone in theater knows about it, about uh, what it's like to put up a play with actors egos and directors egos and put throwing everything together at the last minute and everything falling apart on the road and i think the thing for me is that sold it to me is act one takes place the night before they open act two the stage completely flips around and you're looking at the backstage antics it's done about 60 percent in silence while the play is going on at the quote-unquote front of the stage um and then the third act, it spins back around and you're halfway through their tour and they just hate each other. And it's obviously exaggerated, exaggerated. It's a farce, but anyone who's grown up in the theater can certainly relate to many of these people. And I just love it every time I see it. Yeah, that's one that almost made my list. Uh, I've seen three productions of it. I don't agree that the movie, I don't think the movie does as well as the stage show, but the stage show is again on Broadway now, uh, Roundabout has a revival with an all-star cast, Andrea Martin, Megan Hilty, Rob McClure, it's got a great cast, that is one that, when it's done well, it's fantastic, but it's another one, it's so, has to be so well choreographed with the timing of everything, I can imagine there's some productions that don't, <laughs> don't hit the mark as well as others. It is. I we did it in college, and it was some. It was one of the best shape I've ever been in because <laughs> the rehearsals were literally just running. Yeah. I mean, you're just running up and down stairs, and and it has to be chore. It's it's literally choreography. Yeah. So I always appreciate it when I see it. Yeah, I lo love noises off. Number two, mine sticks with with no brainers, and that is uh, Thornton Wilder's Our Town. I, I I don't know what to say other than it is practically perfect in every way to borrow something from Mary Poppins. Um, what sealed it for me, actually, and I've seen, like I think most theater fans, multiple productions, you know, maybe half dozen at this point. But one I saw recently, ironically, also at the same college that uh, I saw Machinal at, they did it almost as a radio play. They had not only the traditional stage manager, they had an assistant stage manager over on the side giving sound effects so this show is done um 
traditionally with very little staging, very little set pieces. So what they do is they'd walk into a door, they'd open the door, you'd hear the door creak from the from the sound effects person. They'd walk through, the door would s- slam shut, you'd hear it, and it just made so much sense. I was shocked that I hadn't seen it before, because that's how our town is. You maybe have some windows and maybe some door frames, but it's pretty open. To have that extra thing put onto it made me feel like, oh my god, this is even more creative than I thought. But at its heart, the story about life and about love and about loss, it still is incredibly powerful today. And I don't think I can spoil a, a play that's almost 90 years old, but the scene, the, the third act, which you know takes place in a cemetery, is, is still, no matter how many times you see it, it is still effective and still touching, and, and I love Our Town. I saw a great production of it actually here at a private L.A. high school, humble brag, and it starred uh, Don Cheadle's daughter. Wow. As Emily? Uh, No, I don't remember what part she played, but he was sitting next to me. (laughs) There's the real humble brag. Such a name dropper. And uh, so I looked her up in the program, but she wasn't Emily. But it was a great production. And and to reinvent that after 100 years, like you're saying, like the writing just holds up. You know, it's touching on basic elements. And I think that's why it's stuck around for all these years. Yeah, absolutely. Like we keep saying, uh, the writing is what makes these things, you know, still important so many decades after they were written. So, Jen, what's your number one? Well, this is a little anticlimactic since you already mentioned it. Ah. But my favorite play, and it has been for nearly 20 years, is Arcadia by Tom Stoppard. Nice. Uh, I saw it in London in 2005. No, 95. (laughs) I'm just trying to make myself way younger. Um, but it was just, uh, Tom Stoppard is a genius. I, I love his books and his plays and everything he touches. But the play itself, um, jumping back and forth from, you know, the the history of the house that the, the play takes place into the modern day and the way they interpret things they found, I don't know, it just really hit home for me. Like, not every single thing you find is is valid in history. And they spend a lot of time analyzing this note between Lord Byron and someone else. Like, what does this mean? Is this how we began to write poet? And it was really just a joke between them. And and, and I don't know, the way that they uh, portrayed, it was the first time I had really seen a play that really got to me, that, that kind of showed me that, oh, I guess straight plays can work without musicals. <laughs> but um, it, it was just a lasting memory, and I, I love it. And I've seen a bunch of productions of it. And it's, it's hard to screw it up. Like, this is one of those ones that, like, it's really a no-brainer. Like, you just have to do it. <laughs> the writing speaks for itself. I'll keep saying that till the end of time. Yeah, well, I think I think that's fair, that the writing is always going to speak for itself. And I think you said this to me when we were talking about this list, that good writing can overcome bad acting. Bad acting – or good acting cannot overcome bad writing. Um I See, I do disagree with you in the fact that I do think there can be bad productions of it because it is – there's a lot of it that I don't understand because they talk a lot about science in, in that play. And I don't understand. I didn't understand any of the science the one time I've seen it. But it was fascinating the way that these two stories were woven together and to talk about history and, and art again. Uh, it is a fascinating show. And I've only seen it once, but I would love to see it many, many, many more times. It's wonderful. So <laughs> number one for me is August Osage County by Tracy Letts. There is something very American theater about a story about 
a family that doesn't really like each other, where there is drug and alcohol addiction, that just screams classic American theater, and that's what August Osage County is. It is drugs, it's alcohol, it's profanity, it's secrets. It is a well-constructed Pulitzer Prize-winning play. I saw it at the Alliance Theater in Atlanta with the who's who of Atlanta actors, uh, and it was mesmerizing. When I saw that, I was like, that you know, it was when I was directing a lot, and I said, that's the type of thing I want to do. And if I'm ever a writer, that's what I, those are the types of shows I want to do, because there was so much to it. So every interaction, every snippet of dialogue carried so much emotion and so much context that the acting, like you, you said with Arcadia, that you just have to do it. Everything is there on the page in August Osage County. It is, it's so evocative and it's so specific without hitting you over the head and out being reductive. Um, and it's fascinating that Tracy Letts is an actor. I mean, he started as an actor. He's now become a playwright, but he's a working actor on Broadway in movies. I mean, he was in The Big Short. He was on um, He was on Homeland. He was in uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf on Broadway. I mean, he's, he's a working actor who also is a Pulitzer Prize winning playwright. And I adore August Osage County. The movie wasn't as good as the stage show, but it still gave you an idea of, of, of how great the property itself was. That's interesting because I have only seen the movie and I didn't care for it. Ugh. So I really want to see the stage production because I do like Tracy Letts and, and I like what you're saying about how it's very indicative of modern family life in America. So I haven't ruled it out completely because of the movie, yeah. but I don't think it was a good representation of what it could be. No, I don't either. And I think if, to like the movie, you you almost have to have known the stage version first, because on its own, the movie didn't do a great job of creating these characters. And I don't know why, because Tracy Letts did write the screenplay. Um, but it, it didn't it didn't translate as well, maybe because it was it had to be a little shorter and you didn't see what's great about the show is that it shows you a full three story house on stage. And so you see people in different rooms when the action isn't on them still working. So you get a better, fuller, rounder sense of, of what this family is going through, uh, that you don't see in film, but I absolutely loved August Osage County and I would see it as many times as I possibly could. Well, I will uh, take your recommendation and try and see it live. All right, that's a wrap on Some Like It Pops Listapalooza, episode one. I think that went fairly well, but we want you to let us know what you thought of our lists. You can tweet Jen and tell her where she screwed up at Eponine Q. That's E-P-O-N-I-N-E-Q. And you can tell me how much you agreed with me at B-W-W-Matt. That's B-W-W-M-A-T-T. On next week's regular Some Like It Pop, we will be going all in on the Oscars. And then on our next list, Palooza, we will stay in the theatrical world with our top ten favorite musicals. I can already kind of assume a few of Jen's favorites. Thanks, as always, to James Marino of Broadway Radio. James is the host and producer of Broadway's oldest podcast, This Week on Broadway, now in its seventh year. You can subscribe to the show via iTunes and Stitcher or on broadwayradio.com, and you can find them on Facebook and Twitter at Broadway Radio. Thanks for listening to Broadway World's Some Like It Pop, and until next time, we'll see you around the Broadway world.